Hi, my name is Maria Caterina. I'm from Ecuador, and this episode is brought to you by MPW Membership. Did you know that all MPW members get access to monthly feedback on their tracks from an industry audio professional? This is the perfect resource if you're almost finished with your track and need that professional ear to help you with the final touches. This is a free feature for all MPW members. Take advantage of this awesome function and so many more using the link musicproductionforwomen.com slash membership. Uh, what am I saying? <laughs> this is MPW, 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 the podcast with your host, Zyla Aria. Cool. A podcast about music, music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the MPW podcast. I'm your host, Zylo Aria, and today we are here with the incredible Nina Las Vegas. So Nina is an artist, a producer, a DJ, a record label owner, a radio presenter. Have I covered them all, Nina, or is there something I missed? (laughs) She's a lover. (laughs) A lover, of course. Great. So yeah, such a pleasure to have you and I've caught you quite early in the morning. So um, have you got much planned for today work-wise or you just kind of kind of go with the flow? Yeah, I'm pretty slammed constantly. I Like this week I had a 1300 release on my label last Friday and then tomorrow I have another release and then I have a kind of break in – I have a break – for a couple of weeks and then more releases in September. So basically my weekdays are pretty much exclusively label stuff. I manage as well. So I manage myself and I manage Coda Banks. All this stuff has fallen at me and I just happen to be good at it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> well, I know it's true. Like I, I, I'm a born producer. I can't help it. Like I probably should back away from stuff, but I enjoy all this work. I find nothing better than completing projects and, not so much scheduling and stuff, that I hate, but I love seeing something come from an idea and out into the world. Mm, mm. And I, and I and so what's today? So like I'm religiously like I'm a note writer, but so like usually the night before I write a list of what I've got to do today, which then becomes what I've got to do tomorrow because I constantly like to get the best productivity. I, I've worked for myself since leaving Triple J for six years. It took me a couple of years to work out how to work without an office headspace. Now I know what to do. And that is list writing, priorities and, you know, and making your feel – like I put the most simple things on a list. So it sounds so dumb, but like on my work list, I'll also have buy new moisturiser, you know, and like because that make that is something you have to do. And then if I – like if yeah. I – tick that off. At least I've done something in that moment. So yeah, today, what does today look like today? So today's preparing the the release tomorrow. So I put the press release in the MailChimp. I am making sure the website's ready to go. Final DSP push. Like it's a lot of emails. It's a lot of like, it's a lot of constant plugging. You know, I'm always telling people about why they should support an act. Unfortunately, not enough music making. But at the same time, I'm, you know, like I'll probably go into this a bit. I am very lucky to have had a long career. It's not ending, of course, but everyone has to pivot right now with no live. Like I've lost too much live income now to consider myself a live performer. 
and that sucks, but that is just how I feel right now, today, yesterday, you know. So um, I am constantly thinking about myself as a different business and if that is a full-time label person. You know, we got a sync last week on my label, which is the first big sync. Yeah, I can't go, it's like NDA level sync, but it is something that yeah, it's crazy, but it just felt I've just worked for no money on this stuff for passion, for minimal, yeah, spend for like so long and then something like that comes along and it's that moment that you go, oh, my God, this is real. But it took six years. <laughs> so that's how I feel. No, that's amazing. That's, and this kind of stuff I think is really important just to um, just to talk about because I think sometimes it's very easy to be a bit short-sighted in the industry and you can be like, oh, my God, I've been killing myself for six months and it's not working and, six you know, it's never going to happen kind of thing. Nothing. And I think that I think when people look at me, they know me, maybe they, I mean, it's been six years since I've been on Triple J but... People don't realize I was I was eighteen working at work, like doing work experience for free for years, you know, not just there everywhere. It took me like seven years to get on the radio, and not that that was a problem. It was just the path. I never had a. Pro- I loved like what I was doing. I never knew I was going to be like the way that I work. I never know what I'm going to do. You know, I don't really have the one thing I thought about my label that was like. I wanted to build something that someone would buy and that's what I thought I always wanted, like a startup. But the more I do it, the more I realise that I don't want anyone to have that that control over my – and, and I, I think in the state of – I don't know if your listeners know about how crappy our industry is for labels at the moment and how male-dominated it is. Right now I'm like, nah, I'm running it, I'm keeping it. You can just – Read it and weep if you wanted it. <laughs> yeah. No, awesome, awesome. So, I mean, before we get into all this, we've, we've kind of covered a couple of things before, but we always kind of start with learning a bit about uh, the journey of uh, our guests and how they got to where they are today. So do you want to give us like a little overview of, you know, where things started for you, how you got into uh, the industry and how you have kind of transitioned to what you're doing now? Honestly, it just feels like I keep accelerating in different corners. There's been no real shift. Just my work has evolved and everything I've done in the past has helped me get here. So I lived in Wagga, Wiradjuri country, and I did eat some music and sport, full rural Australian girl. Um, And then I moved to Sydney for uni. I did a design degree with sound as a major, so I learned how to do Pro Tools and, you know, really weird. Like now that I look back, that course was so easy. Like it was pass-fail. And then Triple J happened to be next to the the university and I was a Triple J fan because I grew up in Wagga. So I knew I could see them around. Like I could see – it was like Adam and Will days when I was at uni. And and then I ran into someone at the pub. I ran into Scott Dooley, I think, and he was on air – and then I got work experience and I just kept going. So I was on radio. Um, I just made myself impossible to fire. So I, I made my, I upskilled myself. I was this 18, 19-year-old girl who knew how to use Pro Tools and no one, that, like, no one wanted to do the behind-the-scenes work. So I always found the gaps. 
So, yeah, I became a producer there. I made promos. I made, like, when I say promos, like, you know, you're listening to, like, I did all the little ads. I did anything that had a production bed I was making for years and years and years. And then House Party started and I mixed that. I used Ab- taught myself Ableton with Live School and how to use it for radio. Then I got more and more involved in DJing because I started noticing Clubland was sick and all my friends were in it. And then, yeah, and then I became a DJ and then I did mix up and then I started playing more and more. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm using Ableton every five minutes. I, why aren't I making music? And I kind of was, I was, but just a bit clunky. Like I was using audio a lot, not MIDI, you know, I was just piecing together samples. I started making demos and then I was like, I want to do this more. And then I did that. And then I was like, this feels great. I want to do it more. And then I quit some of my job and (laughs) then I wanted to do more and more. And at that point, they wouldn't let you do a radio show from Sydney uh, from around the world. Like, even it's so ironic now that everything's remote because I was like, can I just travel and work? Can I keep my job? Can I? And they wouldn't let me. But that's just because you have a government job and you have to be in Australia. And then so I left that job. And then I was like, there's where would I my music go? Like, I don't really know why I would, you know, why do I want to give my music away? I just, I was so confused by the concept and having so much, so many relationships with artists and not seeing a label I loved sonically and the team and everything. I was like, I'll do it myself. And so I, I did it myself with my management at the time, Unified. And that was really great because I took a chance. Um, and then, yeah, the more I learned, the more I wanted more control. So then I ended that partnership and now I've been doing it myself. And in that time, I'd meet and sign artists. And I, I didn't really understand the concept of a and because I was just doing it and then you start realising what that job is and that job is like research networks, like pushing people and, yeah, so, yeah, the label's massive now. Um, Well, I think it's massive but it's just me. I have a distro but it's literally me and I I contract a lot of really – I try to contract like young, cool creatives and like to help. So I'm not doing – every single thing. Like I'm not writing every press release, but I will find the young female writer that's really great and hit her up and be like, can you help me write? You know, like, or an artist on Instagram or, you know. So I feel like my job's, yeah, connecting a lot. I I do a lot of DMing. Like, hey, like, (laughs) I say, I like this. How much it costs? Yeah. Um, and, And yeah, and that just all evolves to like where I am now, which is mostly a label person at this very moment. And no radio, which is fine. Like, I, I don't mind. Like, I had, I, I like, I think every, I can't multitask too much. Like, I'm multitasking my day. But I like having particular journeys at a time. And through this pandemic, people are still releasing music. They're not playing, unfortunately, but music's still big. And so that's where, that's my journey. It's been like 15 years of, that's a journey in 15. That's 15 years really fast. <laughs> That's a pretty good summary. No, that's that's awesome. And it sounds like the transition from one thing to another has been really kind of fluid and you've kind of just decided that that's the next thing that you want to do and just kind of gone for it, which is which is awesome. I, I can't sit still, like, at all. So, like, if anything, my fault is that I don't stop and and I try to, but I don't enjoy it. 
so sometimes people are like, you need to slow down or you need to do this. And like, why? Like, just because you, do you know what I mean? I think everyone's different. I'm just made up a bit different. I'm like, my boyfriend calls me a robot sometimes, but not in a bad way. But it's like that. I do feel like a robot in a cool way because I don't want to waste time on being, I don't know. I think we're all a lot up and downs, but I like solutions and I like journeys and and outcomes. I just like, I'm a math, like maybe not a robot. I feel like a mathematician sometimes. Like how do we get there? And especially like releasing music or finishing a song. He's a bit more of a like, I want to work it out and let me, and I'm going to make heaps of mistakes till I get there and work it out. Where I'm like, oh, I don't have time for the mistakes. How are we going to outsource this? Or how are we going to get, get it? This is really different. We do, con- but that's why we actually work really well because he will be like, no, chill, or let's talk it out. Yeah. And I'll be like, okay, but once we're done, can we then talk about a solution? <laughs> or the options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, that sounds great that you kind of have that because, it, yeah, you, you do need both. But, yeah, I, I'm definitely a big fan of outsourcing where you can because I think if you literally try and do every single thing, there's probably a point where you, you might just burn out. And it also gives you a ceiling because you can't, if you're doing everything yourself, there's only a certain number of hours in a day. So I think it uh, sounds like a great idea. So speaking of each of those transitions, um, I guess they would kind of require some sort of reinvention of yourself and your brand. Did you find that you had to work really hard to be perceived in a new light or, or how did that go for, for you going from, you know, radio presenter to DJ to artist and and now kind of running a label? Well, I was a DJ when I was on radio, so that kind of always worked with it. Like a DJ, radio DJ is kind of goes alongside being a DJ. Being an artist away from Triple J was hard because at the t- I was a big part of that kind of flume, early flight facilities, flight facilities kind of moment. So people just thought I played that all the time. That was a bit hard. But I'm also like, that was a very lucky privilege and platform. So I did play it for a lot. And then I think it's the one thing about the pandemic, the timing was so, I finally, like by 2020, after leaving in 2015, I felt like Nina Las Vegas, nothing else attached. And that's when the, the fucking pandemic started. Like, and, and, I was feeling confident about producing. My production had stepped up so much because I was just, you know, I had the time and then, you know, I was travelling and I was just away from, like, everything in a nice way. Um, And, yeah, but uh, that's been fine. I think the label side, it's all about confidence and sadly when you're a female, it's about confidence of telling people what you're doing. And I think what I noticed this year and last year is that no one knew what I was doing behind the scenes. So when an artist makes a label, they presume, because it happens a lot, that the artist isn't doing the work. They're just the front facing for whatever imprint that is. Where this year, and because I've been solidly in the backgrounds, you know, having conversations with Aria, Apra, Air, like Distros, Spotify, like really putting my name to the label and being in these conversations that usually label staff would do. Um, I think it's become 
I can claim that ownership a little bit more. And I do because, like, fuck it. It's rare to have a female running a label in Australia of this size now. We've got three songs on rotation at Triple J. Like, you know, in the month. That's nuts. That's a major level level of success. So now I'm just owning it. And the one thing I do have, like, I would love to not have to deal with Triple J, but I have to email them every week because of the music we put out. And unfortunately, you can pay PR and, like, you know, radio plugging to do that. But I'm always going to do it better because I know them. <laughs> and it's not like I'm getting anything easier. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything d- different, but just they're my they're people I know. So I know the tone. I know what they like. It doesn't mean it's easy, if anything. I, I'm still not getting replies this, the same way, but at least I can co- pick up my phone and call a former colleague and be like, hey, talk to me. You know, it's me, not some random I've paid. Oh, that's, that's not a random, but you know what I mean. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, so yep. I, no, I think I that mean. it's all been – I think the one thing – that I was very conscious of when I was at Triple J is if I was putting out music, I didn't want to do it at the same time I was on air. I didn't think that was fair. So I didn't, like, that's just me. It's really different now. I think it's really cool now to do that. You should use your platform whatever way. But when I was on air, I didn't want to be someone making a decision on what was getting played on air and also then being in the conversation. So that's why the label is a a comfortable position for me because it's like, well, yeah, it's my. It's so weird when I think about it, like the label's my name, like NLV, like NLV Records. It's a bit, it's a bit intense when you really break it down. But then I'm like, fuck it, it's my name. I have to look after it. That's why I can't sell it off. That's why I can't, you know, go through another joint venture again because ultimately, like, it's my name, and I have to look after that and that sound. But yeah, that that's kind of. I don't know if that answered the question, but I think that's like I, I'm just very much into being on focus for a target and not being disappointed. Like you know, it's a it's a it's a ten thousand hours mentality for making music, for DJing, for being a label person, for being a manager. If you're not going to put that time in, you can't expect the best results. So I think that's why I'm always like right now this is a label year because I am lucky enough to be asked to play because of I you know we I'm 36 I can I'm a, like a heritage listed DJ by now so that's fine <laughs> but you know I'm not fighting for a position on a new like I've had really great experiences so I'm not I'm not fight I'm I'm not an emerging artist I'm a and people know that I do. Like, if you ask me to play a 40th birthday, I will smash that 40th birthday. If you ask me to play a techno party, I will smash it. Like, people know my work ethic and what I can, you know. If anything, the only thing that's been hard to drop is that, like, I was always cross-genre, which for whatever reason has becomes a bad thing when you get older. And honestly, every DJ starts playing techno in their 30s and 40s because techno never dies. And there's no problem with being a techno DJ in your 50s or 60s. Mm. It's what's standard. Mm. But for whatever reason, a female or a male can't be, I don't know, like a club DJ or a hit. Like it's just a strange thing. But for whatever, but techno, maybe because the history is bigger and the, the reach is always bigger. And so even coming to Melbourne, maybe you've seen like the when things were open, you know, you had the timber yards and all these like huge events happening all the time 
and I have always been in Sydney and I'm newly in Melbourne now. And it's it's funny because I'm like those guys, even though I could play those parties so well, it it doesn't. It's not easy for me to get a slot there because they're like, no, no, no she doesn't play that. I'm like, well, you don't know what I fucking play, <laughs> and you haven't asked me. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the only thing. Like sometimes you're, sometimes you're punished for being, having a broad interest in dance because there people are just not like techno. Like people are snobby. That's the only thing. But for whatever reason, a man can do it. Like you can see multiple DJs that tour Australia or used to tour Australia many times that change their sound over and over and over and that's allowed. Yeah, yeah, that uh, is a bit of a shame. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did know about that kind of techno thing with, uh, you know, as you get older or whatever. Um, it seems to be most the kind of older DJs I know female and male seem to just kind of fall into technology. Oh, yeah. It's just about time. You just go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. In an interview uh, uh, that I read, you mentioned that at your time at Triple J, it, it kind of taught you to be resourceful and to make connections. And Talk me through how you go about doing that. And, you know, you you mentioned you, you kind of slide into the DMs for quite a few things and things. You know, how do you uh, – what's your mindset around that? Well, when I was doing the show, I was just out all the time. So people – you know, I'd go to the shows. I'd introduce myself. I'd become friends. And then that person would say, especially international touring DJs, they had this, you know, young – well, yeah, like – reliable young woman that would show them around, put them on the radio show. I wasn't like whining and dining, all of them, but I would be like, nice. So, you know, I'd get texts being, hey, what's his name's coming out to tour? Can I connect you or whatever? Of course, you know, I keep it, I'm, I'm pretty down the line pro too. So like, I'd be like, here's my work email, you know, like I wouldn't go nuts. And then if I liked them, I would be like, hey, come, like we're doing this or whatever later. Because it was hard to make connections with people that liked what you like. I like dance music and it was remo- like the audience is really young. It still is really young. So you do become friends with the DJs and and the and the producers and the, and yeah. So I just think that I think like I always would I think like I am on my phone a lot, but I I I I'm a replier to like I don't understand people that don't reply, like at all. So if someone hits me up, even if I'm not interested, I was like, thanks, like I'll hit you back, you know, I'll let you know if I like it or I'll try to make it if I can. So I think that's how I, I just like, I was always accessible and I think people knew that. So, you know, I'd never hid my email. I'll let people slide into my DMs. And it's not that like I, I kind of have a real a real problem with people with a curation. I don't know. When you've got a platform, especially in a pandemic, and you turn your DMs off, I think like, it's not that bad. It's only going to be like a couple of messages a week. Like you have this position for a reason. So anyway, that's kind of how I did it. And um, and also like with the mechanics of the show, you would have to talk to them a few times like, you would have to know their bio, get a quick, like, ID or whatever and write about them and then share the mix back. So there was always a level of, like, care 
So if you're working hard, you know, that's it. And I, and I think I would ask questions too. So if I didn't know about a scene, I would reach out to someone I did. Like a really good example that is in DEF CON when that was happening, that festival, I don't know how to dance music at all. So I would just call up the promoters and the PR and I'd be like, okay, tell me who's hot. Who's like, who are we going to try and like, <laughs> you know, and I just would, and I think when you just don't yeah. admit to know every, like I didn't know every, dance is huge. So I would just be like, you tell me and I'll make it work. And I think people like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, no, that's great. And I think uh, like you've mentioned and like a few people have mentioned as well on this podcast, I think it's when you see it that way or like making connections as essentially just making friends or um, just genuine uh, connection rather than, you know, doing that to uh, get some sort of benefit at the other end. It's a totally different approach to building that. And it's not a problem. It's nice having like, and, and I don't know, a friend pointed out when I was traveling a lot. So like, from when I left the station and I just went, I would take every, I was so lucky to be asked to play OC. So I'd just go, I'd go to like Seoul for the weekend. Like I, it was such a privileged existence and I get that. And then a friend reminded, like I have friends all around the world because of that show. So I could go to Paris or Portugal or, you know, Seattle or somewhere. And then I would always have someone and that, and I just saw the world in so many cool ways. Like, going to like I'm lucky enough to come from a diverse background so I have family all over the world um, and that's a plus so I get these really nice experiences through family but then yeah the the friend stuff is just wild and I never had really thought about it and then a couple of years ago my mate Lockie just kind of pointed out you you know people don't have friends all around the world you know like he just kind of wanted to remind people you really do have a different experience of traveling because you can go out with that promoter or meet up with that friend or and and I would if the promoter asked you out for dinner I would say yes unless I was like really tired I'd be like yeah show me like that would be sick and that always was a better night when you just dived in and like yeah I'm down like not getting wasted really but just like tell me like tell me what's up like who's cool like what and I think that is how I just had so much more fun on those nights. And it is hard because you would travel a lot. It feels so foreign now because it's been so long but ago. But, you know, they, I just would be so sleepless and there'd be nights where you feel physically ill about waking up at 11 p.m. to go to the club and, like, no, I still, I, I wasn't, I never felt big enough, like, as a draw card around the world to feel, you still get nervous around shows because I just want to, I want to have a good night and I want them to have a good night. And I think like that was the one thing that was kind of doing my head in about 2020 is that it just kind of started felt like people were coming out. And I know that sounds crazy because I'd been DJing for 10 years, but it is really hard to like build that following overseas. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but I think like maybe that's what post pandemic and like post when things open up again, maybe I'll just be able to be more selective because it won't be like that's my dream I don't want to have to do the the starter gigs anymore because there'll be so many kids that didn't get to do anything before this wanting those slots so like I think that's where I want to transition in like DJing because I want to and it's fun and it's going to be a sick crowd not necessarily my main income and when you talked about you know 
building the following overseas and everything. Did you feel like in a new landscape you had to start from scratch or does some of that kind of carry forward? Yeah, Totally and I loved it. Like it just felt like new audiences, new work. That's cool, yeah. And you kind of felt, I felt like I had to put in the work as a DJ, as part of the community. I had to go out, like I had to meet, make those friends again. I loved it. And, and I like... I mean, you would know, London has an older older crew DJing. So I didn't feel like this random old woman DJing at baby club. I felt like just my friends. It was sick. And, like, um, everyone is hustles, everyone grinds. And I think in Australia we're, oh, yeah. people don't realise how much that hustle dies off in us. We have this, like, mentality of, like, needing a house and a kid and, like, it, you're too old for certain things. Like that just doesn't exist in London in the same way. People obviously age out and grow up and have families, but like you're not looked down on if you go out on a Thursday for a cheeky blowout. Like it doesn't – and I'm not saying that that is what I needed. I just didn't want to feel like I'm the only person in my friendship circle doing this and that's not what I felt in London at all. And my partner makes music too, so he was going to studios like every day and we were just like in this perfect sync of like working really hard, working on the weekends. It was cool. But then, yeah, someone made a bat soup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I can definitely relate to that. Um, and for me anyway, I think that's the biggest uh, difference in the mentality in uh, London compared to uh, Melbourne's Melbourne. a little more than Sydney though like it's I find it a little bit more people dance a bit more in, in Melbourne and the scene's a little bit more diverse like I don't know if you've spent much time in Sydney but you're either at eastern suburbs like boring not boring that's unfair um, cut that but like eastern suburbs kind of champagne vibes play what the audience wants or there isn't really nightclubs at the moment. Right. I think like Ivy was the only one because of the lockout laws prior to lockdowns uh, and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no small little hobby clubs anymore. So and who knows what it's going to look like. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, uh, I mean, talking a bit more about um, NLV Records, so you started that in 2015 and you were saying, you know, you run it for about six years and, and that kind of thing. So did you know what was involved in starting a label and, uh, you know, what is involved in, on a day-to-day basis? Oh, my God, I had no idea. Honestly, it's literally like um, it's more administrational and, you know, a lot of planning. The better your label run is, the tighter the ship it is. So the song and the assets is one thing, but then the lead in time and the communication of that is the next. And also what you offer an artist. You can't, there's just too much music out and too many unpredictable stories, positive too, like TikToks or syncs or whatever, to, to say this is how it will work. So I think what I've learned is the, not realism, but more of an understanding of the journey, more of the understanding of what will work better than like rushing a song will never go well, like ever. Unless you are like a Kid Leroy or something. You I can't be an emerging act without a role in. 
So, so that's what I've learned. Um, the legal side's fucking bullshit, and I have there are some really outdated deals. And so what I learned over the six years is changing that and trying to make, you know, I don't know how much, like working in PPD, like the music industry is the only industry in the world, I don't know, one of the only industries in the world where you could do a job and they tell you kind of how much you're getting paid and then you will never know the number exactly because someone else is in control with what they're going to, like it's just they can't tell you even if you can't do the maths if you say I sold 10,000 units but wait, do I get 10% of the cut after? Like it's just too complicated for so many people and even little things like why do remixes not get a writing cut? Aren't they writing? Like I don't understand. So a lot of me learning about the label is like doing stuff my way that I think a lot of people are changing too. So we work in percents, like net receipts. We take out those crazy equations. We make it really clear. We don't offer advances that are take the large sum of money and spend it. It's more like this is the pool that I will contribute and we'll work out how I spend it together so you know how much you owe me or what you got to pay back. Like I'm being a bit realer about terms. So then if an artist wants to do an ad, I say, do you mind if we try this? Um, I'd like to see how it goes. It's not on their back, but it is something they have to pay off. So, mm. and, and I do think as well, this past 18 months has taught us that it's really hard to stand out without touring. So how do you change that story and how do you, how do you get noticed and build fans and a digital real relationship with listeners without those live experiences? So I do have to draw the line sometimes with the artist and be like, I'm not your manager, I am your label person. However, this is what I would suggest and build a team around this. Yeah, so that's kind of what I've learned. And also just commitment-wise, like I... I can't do everything, so I have to like, – and this year and last year I've had a lot of people come to me, be like, can I work with you? Can we put it out? And some really good stuff. But I just can't – I can't do more unless it's something different. So 1300 is a new signing and they're like a Korean electronic rap band out of Sydney, <laughs> which are, they're so cool. But they, um, you know – I have nothing like, no one has anything like them. So that is a new journey because I don't have to, I'm not going to take anyone's path. So I really, with my label too, the lineup is pretty, um, is a range of acts that don't really fit each other's paths. So, because I don't want to be like, like I wouldn't sign another uh, like hyper pop singer. I've got Coda and I don't want it. Even though there's some great ones that would love to work with me, I can't do it because I'm like, no, she's my gal and like we can work with you or we can help and we can be part of the community but it wouldn't be fair on you or her or me to try and do the same thing Mm. Mm. okay yeah yeah and on that you know you mentioned with artists uh, right now obviously it's it's harder to stand out during um the pandemic without being able to tour and things and it's just been such an incredibly difficult time all around. Do you have any tips on how to, uh, you know, stay sane and maybe do things a little bit differently um, in this new world to to kind of see some results? Yeah, like I'm. Con- there's just so many new avenues. So like, I've really like, oh, man. 
it sounds so dumb and basic, but like digital advertising and targeted groups is so important. Like, so you have to work out how to advertise and find your audience because streaming, if you're a new artist, is really hard to make those like discover weekly playlists if you don't have a follow. So, and, and yeah, we do that. What else do we, we, there's like, you know, TikTok, there's like the, you know, like TikTok have like, you know, cameos and stuff. Mm. So TikTok has a cameo. Like there's all these places where you can reach curators in different ways. So maybe instead of spending 200 bucks on a Spotify ad that goes to the app, maybe you'll spend $200 to get like a big TikToker to talk about it or a React video. You know, it's just like different ways. I think as well like building hype is really important and maybe not press. So like we've pulled back on press a bit because – Press is after its own clicks itself. So if you're a new artist and you you don't want to spend money on a press campaign unless it's really targeted for you and you're okay to, to work with them. So just like being a bit real and and also asking an artist what do you how do you find music? So asking where they are, what what do they listen to, and then going for that rather than being like, this is what everyone does, let's do it. Because I could tell you, and especially in Australia, I can see the rollout packet pattern, especially with majors, like how to do it. So let's switch it up more. We're doing a bit more fan engagement stuff. It's a little bit more fiddly, but like we'll send you a sticker if you pre-save the song. And I know that sounds really basic and like sounds really old school, but to get 200 emails and 200 designated fans to pre-save your song, to give you their email address, to get a sticker is just so powerful, like so powerful. So, yeah, that's kind of what we're just experimenting different ideas. That's really cool. I mean, that sounds like a whole different way to be creative, uh, just to think really outside of the box what are others not doing and uh, to, to position yourself that way. And and that's the advantage, I guess, that you have um, running everything yourself and and not being in the major space that you can really easily pivot and try new things. And it's a straight conversation with me and the artist. We're not talking to like, and not saying that doesn't work. It, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure like Amy Shark can't be on an indie at the moment. Like, you know, she's got to reach so many people. You know, I think it it doesn't work for big acts. But when you're, I love the emerging side. So, you know, that's we'll cool. see what happens. Yeah. yeah, no, that's awesome. So what at the moment do you enjoy the most about what you do? I love the art side. So planning the artwork, the videos, listening to the song. The mix and the master stuff stresses me out because ultimately no one cares about your master or your mix really, which sucks because everyone puts their heart and soul in it. But like everyone's always on their fucking phone anyway. So like who cares if it doesn't sound. So that kind of like that stuff stresses me out. But I mean obviously to get it sounding good, you've got to have that process. But I love getting, I love seeing the work shared. You know, I love seeing the the artwork look beautiful and the artists feel proud because my thing is if you're putting out everything that's class no matter how big the reach initially it will find reach every day and that's the one positive thing about digital streaming and this new way of taking music is like you never know when it's going to explode so you have to make sure it's always powerful and always cool and I think like the one thing we've learned with the label is like 
and also me as an artist, don't put out things for the sake of it. It has to have a purpose and it has to have a reason. And there's no hurry right now because we're not touring. And so, like, if you want to take a bit more time, that's fine. Like, that's cool. So, yeah, I think that's what I like. Mm. That's cool. That's cool. And what uh, is one piece of advice that you would give someone starting out in the industry? Oh, man, if you don't like it, don't do it. And I know that sounds really weird, but music is hard and it's never been harder in this pandemic. And don't feel bad if you have to take a day job and work music on your side because I feel like I have a day job again with the label and I have so much fun making music at night or on the weekend and that's okay. I don't want to feel guilty about it. Like, so just nothing's a cop-out, nothing's a sell-out. You do what makes you happy. That's it. And switch your plans if it doesn't work. Pivot. Oh, that's excellent. That's really, really good, good advice. And I think, you know, I hear so many times that, you know, oh, I feel like I've had to start working or whatever, or I'm doing this while I'm working and and I feel like, you know, not a real artist or whatever. And it's, it's really important to know that you need to make it work however you need to make it work. Totally. So that's, yeah, so thank you for sharing that. That's um, really lovely. So we have two questions from our audience for you. Yeah. So we have one from uh, Ryan KP and you've covered kind of some of it. Uh, he mentioned, I've been thinking to start a label and um, I feel like I'm constantly told by people that I need to do this. How would you go about that? And do you have any advice for someone, you know, just starting out? Just start small. And you know what I do if you want to start a label? Put your own music out first so you can be the test run. And that's what I did. And I think like I tell my friends that want to do it, you, there's just so many expectations and lessons to be learned and mistakes to be made. If you can do it on your own music first, then you're not affecting anyone else's career. Because like honestly, it's a lot of work to do it well. And if you're doing it on your own, you have to learn every part of it. So when people say they want to start a label, I'm, I kind of like lean in and like, really? Like, why? What do you like about, like, because it's not easy and it's fucking boring most of the time. Like my emails are chasing people to put us in playlists 80% of the time. So like, yeah, you might be creative. So maybe that means you should be an A&R or maybe that means you should work with someone on their song or be a creative director. Do you have to be the back end of the label? Because legal fees alone to get artist agreements, to get everyone fairly paid, royalty accounting, it's nuts. And like, you have to be prepared for that side of the work too. So I'm like, not like, I don't really know. I just think try it on your own stuff first. That's my advice. Yeah. No, that sounds good. And uh, yeah, with all these things, I guess you you don't really know what's involved until you jump exactly. in. Exactly, so really and I'm not yeah, and I'm not saying don't jump in because I'm a jumper, but I'm just be like be mindful of what you're taking from someone, which is their work. Like the hard, like really think about the concept. You're they're trusting you with their work that might have taken a year. You can't fuck it up. So like, do it with confidence. No, that's great. Cool. And do all the courses. Like there actually are heaps of courses and like different ways to explore how to learn. You know, Melbourne, they have PUSH. They have 
you know, there's resources online. There's so many YouTube tutorials about like how to promote a record independently. Like just Google it. Like there's so much. I I do. Like I'm always on like, yeah, no, like honestly, like I have a list of saves, like things about how to, you know, dumb stuff, like how to set up a Facebook ad, how to do, like look at the back end of the Spotify pages, like do all that. Mm-hmm. That's that's really that's really great. Thank you. And uh, yeah, important to know how important. Well, the kind of uh, admin side or back end of it is because I think maybe people just see the the front side and without realizing um, what's involved underneath. So that's great. And then we have one last question from uh, Laurie Verdo. So. She asked, do you have any tips on how you've gone about PR for artists in your uh, label, even if it's just for yourself? So I guess you you touched on that a little bit as well. You know what I do in a hot tip and I tell every act to do it before they put the song out, go through, find an artist like you and see where they're written about. So like if you think you're like, I don't know, like Anna Luno, and I'm like Anna Luna or whatever, I will find where she's written, I will find the audience, I'll find the um, the author and I will LinkedIn or Twitter. Like seriously, this is the kind of work I do. And I hit them up and I say, hey, would you mind if I send you some music? Usually they say yes and then, then I do it. And it takes so much more time but then you have this database of people that you know, like I keep lists, like people that write about me, people that write about Nina Jirachi, people that write about Coda. So when they have a new song, I just keep, keep building. And you've got to remember that PR is really tough right now. So a lot of these writers aren't getting a huge amount of pay. Their work is limited. So if you can go to them with an idea, like actually can I, I can do a list of five songs that make me feel like jumping because my song's called Let's Jump. Like and you yeah. go to them with the idea They'll be like, yeah, done. The less work they have to do, the better. Until you're like Lord status, no one's really doing features at the moment, sadly. So, yeah. And also just thank them. If someone writes to you or writes about you, make sure you thank them. Thank that person for putting you in the playlist. Thank the fan. Because if you treat your community well, they will treat you back. You never know what that fan will turn out to be and where they'll end up going. So, you know, I, there's a kid I used to know from Holy Ship and, like, would come to all my shows is now the senior editor of, like, Apple Dance Music. And it's like I've always been nice to him. We've always been engaged. So he'll always hit me back. You just never know because fans are the, like, fans are mysteries and great. So that's the one thing. And focus on them because they will drive your audience more than the PR at the start. Mm, okay. Cool. Really good advice there as well. Thank you so much, uh, Nina. It's been lovely and I'm sure uh, lots of people are going to get lots of little gems uh, from that in a lot of different part of things from, uh, you know, being an artist uh, to running a label and and everything in between that you've kind of spoken about. So uh, thank you. And um, so you've got quite a few things to get to uh, today. So It's hit nine, so I'm like getting the emails now. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. All right, well, I will leave you to it and I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.